Welcome to From Our Vantage Point. My name is Nat Vegra, Communications and Events Manager at Vantage Point and your host. Today we are joined by Jennifer Wallowick and Alicia Masongsong to discuss SFU Morse J. Wosk's Center for Dialogue's Five Principles of Democratic Engagement and how these can function within an organization. Dr. Jennifer Wallowick is an anthropologist and ethnographer with over 15 years of experience working with diverse groups, including visible minorities, First Nations, LGBTQ, and youth. She holds a PhD from the University of British Columbia in Interdisciplinary Studies. In her current role at the Morris J. Wask Centre for Dialogue, she is the Project Manager for the Strengthening Canadian Democracy Initiative. This initiative positions the Centre as a catalyst for developing collaborations with institutions, practitioners, and citizens to strengthen our democratic culture. They then evaluate the results of these collaborations to identify what works, when, and how to improve Canada's democracy. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. This is my first podcast. Awesome. We're so excited to have you. Next, we are joined by Alicia Masongsong, who has worked extensively with Vancouver's downtown east side population for the past 10 years, previously working as a frontline social services worker in both mental health and housing services. Through Alicia's frontline work, she has gained a deeper understanding of the complexities of Vancouver's downtown east side, as well as the systems and policies that benefit and are negatively affect people in poverty. Alicia has a wealth of experience coordinating projects, developing policies, implementing strategies, and convening stakeholders across sectors and provinces. Her comprehensive knowledge and diverse skills make her a driving force for community economic development organization, Exchange Inner City, where she is the acting director. Alicia holds a graduate certificate in community economic development from Simon Fraser University and a BA in psychology and sociology from Wilfrid Laurier University. Welcome, Alicia. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. And it's also my first podcast. Awesome. This is going to be great. Lots of learning together. So I'm really excited about today. So I'm going to start with you, Jennifer. I understand the Center for Dialogue is still working on these five principles of democracy. So before we delve in, is there anything you want to mention regarding these principles? Yeah. Um, well, first, I'm super excited to talk about them. I've been talking about them quite a bit. Um, and so as you mentioned, my job is to be a pro- project manager for uh, strengthening Canadian democracy. And whenever I tell that to people, they kind of get shocked. They look overwhelmed, a little bit scared. So I've learned that these principles are a way to break down that big, ominous, overwhelming word of democracy into some easier to understand and easier to action ideas. And by doing that, they allow us to ask ourselves questions about how well we are doing in relation to strengthening our culture of democracy. Mm. So if I can give you some background, Simon Fraser University's Morris J. Walk Center for Dialogue has been around for 20 years. Wow. It's our 20th anniversary this year. We're in the heart of downtown Vancouver. And as a center, we really embody Simon Fraser's mission to be an engaged university. And I think, Alicia, you also like embody that. I saw it in your bio, you mentioned Simon Fraser. Go yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so as a center, we emphasize co-creating solutions, exchanging knowledge, supporting community-engaged learning, and really building capacity between residents and government. Mm. We use dialogue as a very particular kind of conversation. They're conversations that collaboratively explore really complex experiences and problems like we're doing today. Mm-hmm. And dialogue isn't just a conversation, but a conversation that produces change. In doing this work, we realize that almost everything we do engages what we know when we experience about democracy, right. how we promote change mm-hmm. and that sort of bettering of our society. So these principles come from a workshop that was filled with practitioners from our center, as well as members from the Institut de Nouvellement in Quebec. Mm-hmm. They are created as a guide for the work that we do. But as I started sharing them and as our center started sharing them with folks, we realized that they're really applicable to so much more. And that's kind of how Vantage Point got excited about having this conversation because they really seem to apply to nonprofits. I was in Toronto at Massey College just a few weeks ago and their principal 
uh, which I was sharing them with her. And she said, wow, you know, these really point out that we're all in the business of democracy. And I love that phrase. Absolutely. Either we are all strengthening our democracy through our actions or in directing our organizations, or we're taking away from it. Mm. So these principles help us think about how we do that. Absolutely. That sounds so awesome. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to talk about that. That's great. I think I agree with Jennifer that it's so true that if you're not trying to work towards democratic practice in your organization or really in anything in developing policy, whatever it might be, you are really just taking away from it. So totally agree with that. Awesome. I'm uh-huh. really excited to hear about how you do this in your organization as we go through. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to share it. The first principle is to build capacity to participate in democratic processes. What does this entail, Jennifer? So building capacity to participate in democratic processes is really about knowledge and skill development. In your organization, are you creating opportunities to learn about how municipal governments work, provincial, federal, how grant cycles work? Are you having a conversation about what in the world are Robert's rules? (laughs) You know, or are you just using them? Are you actually having a conversation that says, why do we use them? Do they work for us? that sort of thing. It's really just about how do you help people know how to gain power, how to be part of the decision-making systems that matter to them. And at the same time, are you creating opportunities for government to better engage your members, your clients, your staff, so that they can also build capacity to engage with residents better? So basically it's about, are people learning the skills that help them be part of those decision-making processes, to feel more empowered, to know how to navigate those different systems? Alicia, have you noticed that this principle shows up with Exchange Inner City? Yes, to start off, to give some context, Exchange Inner City is a community backbone organization focused on developing community economic development initiatives and co-creating inclusive economic policies in Vancouver's downtown east side. So at Exchange University, we work collectively with a large group of community stakeholders, ranging from executive directors of social enterprises and nonprofits to local community residents who may have experienced or are experiencing barriers to employment. Given this range in knowledge and experience of our members, it is important that we build capacity of our members to meaningfully engage in our meetings, which focus on community economic development, particularly municipal policy and local programming. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we've provided various resources or connections to other programs to support our members with capacity building. So some of those include providing background reading and membership meeting packages in advance of our monthly meetings to help members feel prepared for the specific agenda topics at hand and offer that time to ask questions and get feedback. We provide in-house one-to-one mentorship opportunities for local residents to learn more about community economic development principles, current policy initiatives that are happening at the municipal level, and anything that we're currently working on, or even things like how to take meeting minutes, how to navigate our shared Google Drive folders, et cetera, so that people can feel very engaged in the process. At the initial stages of Exchange Inner City being developed, we had provided monthly drop-in office hours. Unfortunately, we don't do that anymore, but those drop-in office hours in the community were held at two locations, so Carnegie Community Center and the Downtown Eastside Neighborhood House. And it was a way for members and broader residents to stay up to date on the Downtown Eastside Community Economic Development Strategy that we were developing at that time and any projects that we were working on. Members and residents could come and ask questions, provide feedback, and it was a way to get information and stay connected to other grassroots activities and programs happening on the ground that we could connect to or support as an organization. I love that you really embodied like how do you become part of a meeting yes. for folks who don't have that experience like right down to how do you write meeting minutes you know it's yes. it's so easy to think that everyone knows that absolutely and the reality is you don't 
No. no, exactly. And now that more and more everything is online, um, we're sharing different software online with organizations. I even find that there's directors that may not use that software or are like having difficulty navigating it, that just to be able to have that time available to our members, whether it's directors or if it's residents, just to, you know, to go through and figure out how do we all navigate the systems that we're working in, the software we're using, and just so that everyone feels that on the same page and the same level playing field to be a part of the meeting. So everyone feels involved. Do you see like a change in confidence or like as people go through or they, they learn that and like how their engagement changes? Do you have a story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely see a change in confidence. One story is I had mentored this one woman in the downtown side. She's a local artist and she really wanted to take her art and develop her own sort of business. Maybe even she got the idea of taking her business and making a social enterprise to give back to community, just actually being around the table with many social enterprises at our organization. And so we started off simply with even like, yeah, meeting minutes. She helped take meeting minutes at our working group meetings. I was able to give her honorarium to do more admin work for Exchange Inner City at that time. She taught me a lot about art and introduced me to many artists in the community, which helped us to have a better understanding of the needs of artists in the downtown side and engage them in our work. We went through even like how to schedule things and use Google Calendar and like her to send me invites to like come and be a part of the art, you know, community and different events going on there. And anyway, so that idea of her creating a social enterprise through her art is now coming to life. Uh, actually, this Friday, I'm going with her to the Vancouver Foundation where she's having a meeting to potentially get some grant funding to create her her business idea. So it's gone from mentoring around like, what is even, you know, taking me notes and using Google Calendar, Google Drive look like, to her showing me the way of the artist community and really learning about that and engaging with folks to now her taking something that she talked about two years ago to, to reality, so it's quite awesome. She's making change, thanks She's, to you. She is. Well, and thanks to a lot of people around the table, I would say it's not something that I've done alone, but, and that's part of that collective backbone process that everybody sort of contributed to her success. As well as her own agency. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love hearing stuff like that. And it's also, I'm hearing a lot about, you know, you know, community, like just like putting a hand out and seeing where that leads and, and just being able to give resources to individuals and watching them just like use it and, and catalyzing like the, what they can do. It's amazing. So that's, this is, this is really exciting for me. I guess we can dive into the next principle, which is kind of playing into what we've kind of been discussing with the story, which is inclusivity and accessibility. So the next principle is actually to be inclusive and accessible to all. This is something that may sound intuitive and, you know, you're like, oh yeah, that's totally easy, but you can really, you know, it's work that needs to go into it, but would you be able to go into more detail about this, Jennifer? So inclusion and accessibility are really popular words at the moment, and that's because they're important. And it's very important to acknowledge that throughout the history of democracy, groups have been intentionally excluded. Like, let's acknowledge that up front. And many people are currently still excluded. Mm -hmm. So this principle recognizes that we cannot be genuine in our actions unless we work to stop that exclusion and invite this idea of inclusion and accessibility. So at its most basic level, this principle asks you to think about your meetings, your programs, your events. Do people feel like they can show up just as they are? Are all aspects of their identities welcome? We're all wearing multiple hats mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Are all of those identities welcome? Right now, many people do not see those identities reflected in their elected officials, nor in their nonprofit boards, nor in their nonprofit staff. 
How well are you creating spaces where diversity can flourish and benefit all? That's the core question. And so this means asking an organization, how are you working to create safer spaces? I learned that phrase safer from a trans facilitator, and I love it because it's about recognizing that creating an ultimately safe space is almost impossible. It's super, super hard, mm -hmm. but we can all work towards creating safer places. And it reminds us to ask people what they need to be their best to participate. So it's about meeting people's priorities. I like using the word priorities instead of the word barriers because it empowers your board members, your staff, your members, your participants. For example, are children welcome to your board meeting if you don't have child minding? Children are parents' priorities, not their barriers. Being able to easily see or hear in an event are priorities, not barriers. So inclusivity and accessibility means recognizing those priorities, asking people what they are, and then working to meet them. I love that. I just, I'm going to use that from now on, priorities instead of barriers. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that's something that we need to change our language on at Exchange Inner City to say, like, what do you need as a priority to feel like you can be included and participate in whatever it is that we're doing at the time? Because we do use the language of barriers a lot. You hear municipal government and government in general uses that language a lot. So sometimes it just gets folded into what we do. But really, we're just trying to make sure that everybody feels involved. So Absolutely. Yeah. And Alicia, do you want to go into a little bit more about how you've seen this? Yeah. So I'm going to go back into a little bit more about Exchange Inner City where we've, we've kind of baked some of this in. As part of our mission, principles, and values, we specifically state that we look to collectively cultivate a vibrant, inclusive local economy. And our vision is an inclusive community where all can thrive, live, and live full, rewarding lives. We do this with the aim to eliminate poverty and redesign the local economy to be inclusive of all, to seek reconciliation through community economic development, and to build the capacity of local residents to meaningfully lead at all levels of our organization to engage respectfully in policy co-creation and to facilitate collaboration in service of systemic change. Given that accessibility and inclusivity are definitely baked into the values of our organization, we do our best on a daily basis to put this into practice. And I think that that's key is that it's not something that you can just put into your values and then be like, okay, we've got it. It is a constant practice. It's something that we have to continually work at to make sure that people really do feel included and that things are accessible. So, for example, we do our best to ensure our membership represents the community within which we work, which is the downtown east side. Therefore, we've developed a terms of reference that stipulates that our membership and executive committee must include representation from the following stakeholder groups. First and foremost, there must be uh, representation from local downtown east side residents, specifically residents who experience barriers. So there's that word barriers coming up, but uh, maybe we need to change that. But barriers to employment, representatives from social enterprise sector, traditional nonprofit sector, especially those that provide employment and training services, community centers, business improvement associations, and city of Vancouver staff as liaisons. Specifically, we ensure that our co-chairs include a representative from a social enterprise and or nonprofit sector, and that a local downtown Eastside resident with barriers to employment is a co-chair as well. Our co-chairs are responsible for facilitating our membership meetings and executive committee meetings, and we loosely use a Roberts rule of order in our meetings. We hold our monthly membership meetings at a consistent time and location, which was determined by our membership at the beginning when we started to develop our organization. So we always meet every month on the last Monday from four to six at the Woodward's building, fifth floor. We provide an email and printed meeting package and share this in advance of every monthly meeting. And these steps that we take give our members the tools and information to be prepared and empowered to participate in our meetings. 
and we also provide honorariums for people to attend. One thing we do come up against is that even though our membership represents a diverse group of people and mirrors the community we work within, we still struggle with knowing whether people feel heard. Does everyone truly feel like they're included in the decision-making process in policy designs and program development? The reality is no. There are power dynamics at play here. Not everyone feels comfortable to speak up in a large group setting. People don't always understand the concept sometimes that other people raise. This has been raised by our membership recently during a recent strategic planning initiative. That's something we are now trying to work with our members to identify a more improved and inclusive engagement process. So stay tuned about that. <laughs> Excellent. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Humanity Financial Management is a CPA firm dedicated to helping Canadian not-for-profit, charitable and social enterprises build capacity for strong internal financial management. Humanity Financial Management's part-time controllers and CFOs provide support for budgeting, reporting, audit preparation, policies and procedures, and internal controls. Their results? Financial risk reduction and asset protection. Visit Humanity Financial Management online at humanityfinancial.ca. All right, welcome back. We are here with Jennifer Wallowick and Alicia Masongsa to talk about the five principles of democratic engagement. I know we want to go into a little bit more, so Jennifer, do you want to start us off again? Yeah, Alicia, I was really intrigued, and I think you really hit the nail on the head about how hard it is to help everyone in our room feel heard. Yes, <laughs> it can be difficult. It's something, like I said, that you definitely have to practice at. And so what I've found is that we're often, when we follow up post our meetings or event or whatever it might be, we're asking people, did they get a chance to express themselves? Did they feel that what the end result was, was that meaningful for them? Were the results what they wanted to see? Did they feel like that was really what happened in the room? And so we take time to, to check in with our members following anything and make sure that if people didn't feel like that was a result or what we wanted to get out of the process or they didn't get a chance to express themselves, that we can still create space for that. So some of that is about, you know, having a phone call with somebody after, or it's just simply that email reach out and then hearing what they had to say. And then being able to, you know, ask and get consent to then add that information into a follow-up meeting note or a follow-up report or a briefing note or whatever it might be that we are producing post-engagement event to be able to include that. So I think it's just taking time to really just check in with people and make sure that they feel heard. I think the other thing is that in our meetings too, it's a, it's about who the facilitator is. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we our co-chairs are both uh, a local resident and then the other co-chair is the manager of a nonprofit, that helps to balance the power dynamics a bit in the room, but yet you still find that there are people that always talk or that always have something really interesting to say. And you do notice this dynamic happen where that person might say something like really brilliant and then everyone kind of quiets down mm. because it's like, oh, how do you follow that? Or like, I don't know what to say now. And so it's always about just like asking questions or prompting people. Like, even if it's not about, you know, what can you say next? Or do you have a better idea? It's about how does that make you feel? What does that invoke for people? So that allows people to think differently and be able to express themselves differently than always thinking like, oh, I have to be the smartest person in the room. Or like, how do you follow like what people are saying? Sometimes you can just talk about how does that sit with people? So... And it also sounds like you give people multiple different avenues to express themselves. So maybe you don't feel comfortable talking in the room, but yeah. then you give them that, hey, shoot us an email afterwards, or let me check in on the phone and incorporate that. So that's awesome. And then the other thing I heard in your story was also what we at the Center for Dialogue like really emphasizes around intentionality of facilitation. So the idea that 
you have to, it's so intentional. Like what is the first question you ask in a meeting that makes everyone feel safe right. and, and making it, how do you break that power dynamic on the very first step? Mm. So we often, when we do a round table and we introduce people, we don't use titles. We ask people, how far did you travel? And we ask people oh. to get up and like, we, so we always try to intentionally use some type of very neutralizing intro question mm -hmm. that isn't about my name is Jennifer Wallowick, I have a PhD and right. I'm a, a project manager. It's about, oh, I live in New Westminster. It took me an hour and 45 minutes to get here today. I like that. That's oh, great. I like that too. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you're already like incorporating that. And then, yeah, it's about whose then voice becomes part of that decision-making process. Who's, whose voice lingers throughout the whole process and actually gets heard. So I love that you're creating different avenues for people to be part of that process in different ways. Great, thanks. Yeah, it's it makes it fun and it keeps so that these meetings aren't boring. Nobody's yawning in them for at least most of the time. Well, that's a win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I also hear Jennifer and what you're saying, it kind of removes subconscious or unconscious hierarchy mm -hmm. within meetings and it allows so like if I don't know you have a PhD, I might be more willing to speak up knowing that maybe you won't perceive what I say in a way that I think you'll, you know what I mean? Like you'll just hear it and I won't have to be intimidated by these credentials or where you are at mm -hmm. in your career. I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's yeah and it's even, as Alicia, as you mentioned, like asking feelings. Mm -hmm. Everyone can, not everyone, mm -hmm. but many of us can identify the feeling we have in any given moment. Yeah. It's very hard for me to ask, what does democracy mean to you? Right. That causes everyone to kind of go silent. But if I ask, when you hear the word democracy, what do you feel? I just asked that to some undergraduate of the day and I heard words like guilty, like overwhelmed. Mm -hmm like committed. So it's like they could give me one answer, but they couldn't tell me what it meant to them. But then like, even in those emotions, it just unpacks it. Right. So asking your members like how they feel about social enterprise and those things is giving them that space, which is awesome. Excellent. Next is kind of aligned with what we're, we're discussing. It's to deepen relationships and social connections. So how does this work towards democratic principles? So the origins of the word democracy means literally the people and power or rule. So it's about people and we are social beings. We wanna be in a group, we wanna be part of a community. So this principle really focuses in on that. Are people building relationships by engaging with you and your nonprofit? Are you creating understandings that help people facilitate cooperation among groups? At a basic level, do people know each other's names? Are you creating opportunities for people to get to know each other's stories, their interests outside of how they're engaging with your organization? In our research, we found that those who feel a sense of belonging, so this sense of community to their neighborhood, to their province, or to even Canada, are more likely to feel like they can influence government. In BC, if they feel um, belonging to their neighborhood, it's actually three times more likely to feel like they can affect change in their government. So social connections are key to feeling like we can participate in our democracy. We also know from social science research that our acquaintances are really important connections. They are how folks find jobs, new volunteer opportunities, and how change really gains momentum. So this asks us to reflect on how we help people in our organizations or in our activities form those connections. Providing services to people or just putting them in a room together is not enough. Mm -hmm. Are you inviting them to share their stories? Build a shared story about how they're participating together and about their collective interests. That's really what this one's about. I love that. Alicia, how about you for deepening relationships and social connections? What have you found? Yeah, so we make sure to set time aside to build relationships with our membership. Um, this is done, of course, by holding our monthly membership meetings, 
organizing multiple networking events, even awards events, we find are really helpful with connecting people in a different way. And then at least hold two membership socials per year. So we always hold those socials in the community, in the downtown east side, and we like to rotate going to different places so that we're not always going to the same space. And then that also gives us a chance to really know that local business or restaurant. So we've hold it at like Pat's Pub or the Strathcona Beer Company or the Pint and just different places. And so these different networking opportunities and socials provide members an opportunity to really get to know one another beyond the day-to-day work, and they help to develop a stronger sense of trust amongst each other. So when trust is increased, members are more willing to partner together on projects. It allows for organic partnerships to happen that might not always be discussed at the exchange inner city table. Members are willing to share resources and learning with each other, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially, all of these various points of connection are crucial in breaking down those silos among community stakeholders building that trust and enhancing our collaborative efforts to meet our shared goals. And a lot of the times what we hear is when we hold these different socials throughout the year is that people just kind of come up to me and say, like, I like that you do this. We don't have to talk about work today. We get to know who each other are. And it feels like all we ever do is talk about work. And so it's reminding us that work isn't always priority. And it's also just about like feeling like you belong to the community and having that social connection and A lot of the work that we're starting to learn about poverty lately speaks to, it's not just about thinking whether somebody has a low income, that's about being broke. But the idea of poverty or being poor is really more about not feeling like you belong. Mm -hmm. It's social isolation, it's loneliness. And so when we're in the business of trying to develop policies to alleviate poverty, to totally eliminate it rather, We want to make sure that we're making space for that social connection to allow people to get out of the idea of work. And sometimes that can be um, provoking anxiety for people to always be in a workspace, but to be comfortable and just be themselves and just get to know each other. So we hope that we're doing that as much as we can. And we do hear from our members that it is vital for them to feel like they belong and to develop those relationships with one another. Yeah, that's great. I love that you have sort of, you know, you have your board meetings, you have your line or your agenda of the work you're doing, but you're also creating this parallel space where people can just have fun together. Because that's like really, like even in my own personal life, that's where you get invited to go be part of something new. Or, you know, you have your friends and my my friends are board members of New West Farmers Market. Mm -hmm. So it was at a cookie exchange that I'm now on that board. (laughs) We were socializing and you get that. So having that for your board members, who you said many of them are artists. Yeah. So you're creating that space where they can kind of collaborate around those interests and open doors and those things like that. And I think that your point around poverty is so, so important that it isn't just a dollar amount, yeah. what you have, but also how do you access what you need to be a human being? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, especially in urban environments, even though there's so much happening and it's so busy and there's people everywhere, we are so disconnected sometimes and we're all so busy and rushing from one thing to the to the next and looking at our phones and we just don't take the time to just like connect with people. And so really do need to make a better effort at connecting with one another again to, to really support that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also like making an effort to connect with people, no matter the size of your perceived community, you know, it can mm-hmm. be just your friends and then it can just be where you want to go, who you actually want to interact with and then broad, broad, broad. And I think then you can actually see just how what you do can impact that's either that super small community or that large one that's just the from a trickle effect of the things that you've been doing just day to day. Yeah. yeah. That's good. And it, it is. It all comes back to the core of whatever you're doing. It, we're all humans and we all need to interact and build those connections. Absolutely. Definitely. Excellent. 
So the fourth principle is to foster commitment to democratic values. This sounds like a very in-depth principle. How does this get activated, Jennifer? I'd actually say this is a bit of a broad one. It's kind of big. But we wanted one that reminds us to be really intentional about what matters to us as a society, to foster a commitment to our shared democratic values and our social norms. Often we use the words democracy or good governance or civic participation or globalization. Those become jargon words. We don't actually know what they mean. (laughs) What it looks like, like what it sounds like, what is it actually like, what do you experience it in your everyday? What matters to us, like having that conversation. So this is about intentionally talking about our values and behaviors, like compromise, like voting, like what representation means, whether it's as an elected official or a board member, what expectations do you have? Like being very open about those conversations or even talking about what those freedoms protected under our charter actually look like, sound like, and acknowledge that often those freedoms make us feel really uncomfortable. Right. And so being open about that. So we asked the question of like, when was the last time you said one of these values out loud, <laughs> let alone like in a group setting? But the fact is to feel like we have ownership over the decision-making systems that matter to us, we have to demystify them a bit and talk about why they're good. Mm-hmm. Or be open about why they might not be working. What's bad about them? To talk about how democracy has excluded people and why we need to keep working to make democratic values of inclusion, openness, diversity, and participation a true reality. So at its core, this principle asks, what values do you associate with democracy? What values do we need in this time of great change and crisis? Where do they get talked about in your organization? How are you intentional about embodying them, making them visible, enacting them? That's what this one's about. Wonderful. I love that. And Alicia, what about you? How is it embodied? How are these values coming to life? Yeah, so at Exchange Inner City, um, we embrace some of these values associated with democracy, such as equality, human rights, and accountability. However, we do not specifically state each principle within our governance or terms of reference, or do we technically teach what those terms even mean to our members? We kind of assume that our members already understand and value various democratic principles. However, we do base our decision-making on a consensus model. So if our members cannot reach consensus, then we go to a vote and 50 plus 1% is where the decision will lie. So at least in that process, we have democracy at play. But like I said, we, we don't really ask our members, like, what does this mean for you? Do you agree with this term? And not all of them are just clearly written in our in our governance. So so this is definitely something where we could improve and grow as Exchanger City. It would be wonderful to have Jennifer and her team at SFU Center for Dialogue to potentially run through an educational exercise to ensure that as a collective, our members do foster commitment to democratic values and that this becomes more clear and prevalent in all of our work. Oh, wow. Thanks for the invite. And yeah, I think you actually point out like why we actually included this one and why it's sort of vague is because we kind of put them in our terms of reference or we put them in our vision statement and mm-hmm. we put them in the, you know, the principles that guide our nonprofit, but then we don't actually talk about them very often. And really, when you think about our society, what we talk about is what we remember. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's how do you create that? So it's, it's great for the idea of having us come and do that, but it's even better if you figure out a way that it becomes part of that conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point that we can take right away now is just thinking about how we use some of those terms and really understanding what they mean and making sure everyone's on the same playing field. But then, like you said, just making it part of daily language and the way that we speak to each other and, and go through our meetings and our different events. Yeah, thank you, Dave.
naming it the moment that it happens. I mean, every decision or vote is usually a compromise. You're like, hey, look, we're being democratic. We compromised. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's easy to do. That's such a good point. <laughs> we're going to dive into the last principle now, which is to establish accountability with participants. Establishing accountability can be very complicated and it also appears differently to different people. So how does this appear with democratic engagement, Jennifer? Well, I think that Exchange Inner City and Alicia, kind of as we were talking about inclusion, you really laid it out about taking feedback and like acting upon it, which is great. So really establishing accountability is about meeting expectations and establishing trust. If we don't feel like our voice matters at a very local level, at the thing we're willing to volunteer our time for, how can we ever hope to feel like it matters in a big space like our government or democracy? Nonprofits are very good at identifying needs and figuring out how to meet them. These principles remind us to also in that create a cycle that clarifies what the expectations are for those who we engage with and what we do to work to meet them. So first step, do you really understand what people's expectations are when they interact with your organization? Have you asked that question? Then are you asking for feedback? I think our conversation earlier really says they are and that your strategic things are switching. So I'm excited to hear more about that. And finally, then, are you being responsive and creating changes that make that feedback? And are you naming those changes so that it's very clear? Again, this, you're starting to hear a thing around talking about what you're doing, right. you know, making visible these ideas, making heard these ideas, and, and all of these things. And that dialogue and that action is what both lets people know you're meeting their expectations and then creates that cycle of trust that's going to grow over time. So this is what that's about. It's about expectations, knowing them, clarifying them, and then change to meet them, and then naming that cycle so people are aware that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what about you, Alicia? Like, how is it coming across? Yeah, so as I said earlier, and as Jennifer has alluded to, accountability to our members means we provide monthly updates about the work being done and outcomes achieved on specific projects, initiatives, working groups, roundtables, workshops, you name it. And this update is provided at the membership meetings and is available in print and in the meeting online meeting package. It also means that we inform members when there are, are policy development or community economic development project opportunities to get involved in. And then we make the time to connect with our members to understand how they want to be involved in that specific opportunity. So as in how should we collect input from our members? Is it via an email? Is it a survey? Is it info gathering at our meetings? Is it an ideation workshop? How do we want to go about doing that? Mm-hmm. And then we gather members' input about how to facilitate that workshop or meeting. How should we set up the room and determine a convenient time to hold the event so that as many of our members possible can participate? For example, if the opportunity is to help the City of Vancouver develop policy recommendations on poverty reduction, then we ask our members, how do you want to be engaged? Maybe it's by doing a two-hour World Cafe-style workshop at a convenient space in the community in late afternoon. Then we follow up and ask if our engagement methods were successful and valuable for members and take time to hear where there may be room for improvement. We also make sure to provide a follow-up report from the opportunity, whether that's a briefing note, meeting minutes, presentation, specific information about how someone can remain connected to the work or an outcomes report, whatever it might be. We find what is the best approach and ensure that people had the opportunity to express themselves, feel heard, and truly be involved in the decision making. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like you create that sort of feed, that loop system. Yes, exactly. Us, which is great. And you're going beyond like many people think, oh, if we're transparent in what we're doing, we're being we're establishing accountability. And that doesn't mean that you're just publishing a report, but really right. the accountability is about explaining to people how their input led to change. Yes. Making that the transparent act. 
instead of, oh, we heard this, so now we're doing this. It's, it's, there's another layer in there around being like, we heard you say this, we took it, it was valuable, and thus it's led us towards this way. How do you feel about it? Like that's the, that stuff that sounds like you're creating. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's also about just how you create, like what you said earlier, Jennifer, uh, safer spaces. So being able to involve our members and how the space is set up to create that mm-hmm. space, to have that dialogue starting there and then going into that feedback loop really does help to support that. Yeah. And in terms of your creating an expectation, they're going to walk into that room expecting the room to be set up in a certain way. Yeah. And then when they see it, they already feel empowered. Mm. Like it's those small moments that those are our everyday experiences yeah. of democratic culture that really matter. Absolutely. I think it's things that we don't even think about. I know for me, just thinking about what action I made and then that impact, I don't know if I've ever put that together myself. So that's really great to think about mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. We're going to wrap up pretty soon here, but before we do, is there anything else either of you would like to add? Jennifer, we can start with you. First, I think it's really valuable to just name off these five again, because we've gone through a lot today and it's been awesome. I, I'm really excited to hear how these really land with programs such as yours, Alicia. Uh, so the first principle, build capacity to participate. Help people learn how to be part of the decision-making systems that matter to them. Next is to be inclusive and accessible. Then, you know, we're social beings. So the third is deepening relationships and social connections, letting people be people. Fourth is to foster those commitments to democratic values. Fifth is to establish that accountability. Mm -hmm. And if you take all of these, and I'm hearing from our conversation here, is that it's really about being intentional and speaking up about what what you're doing. Like all of these are about just really being intentional Mm -hmm. and thinking about how do you say something? How do you make it visible in those ways that people can interact with it? That's really what they're all about. I love that. So if folks would like to download the five principles for democratic engagement, they can be found at our website. We have a nice little poster you can put on your bulletin board, start the conversation, very first step right there. So you can find them at www.democracydialogue.ca under the resources tab. Print it out. Like I said, put it on your bulletin board. That's your first step to making things transparent, accountable, and starting that conversation. I love that. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And Alicia, any last words? Great. Well, I'm glad to hear that tip that there's a printout and you can put it on our bulletin. So maybe that's something we need to put in our meeting room at the head of the room as a reminder um, just to express it and keep that prevalent. Oh, I brought some for you today. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Well, there you go. I don't even have to print it out. Save paper. (laughs) No, I just want to say thanks for having me today. It's been wonderful to share dialogue and learning with both of you. And I look forward to staying connected to one another. I just wanted to put out that if people are interested in being involved in Exchange Inner City or if both of you would like to participate in some of the work that we do, we do hold our monthly meetings. Last Monday of every month, the Woodward's building, four to six. We do have a large community mailing list that we can add people to. And you can find more about us at www.exchangeced.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alicia. And honestly, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. This is I'm really excited about how this podcast is going to turn out and just the listenership that's going to, we're going to have from it. So just really thank you both, honestly. Great. It's been fun. Excellent. It has been fun. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you for listening. Vantage Point is a not-for-profit organization based in Vancouver, BC that works to transform not-for-profit leadership. Learn more at thevantagepoint.ca. We'd like to again thank our sponsor, Humanity Financial Management. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. Please rate this podcast or leave us a comment on your favorite podcast listening device. Thank you again for joining us from our Vantage Point.